Welcome to Overlooked. My name is Yemi, and I'll be your host for the show. Released weekly, I share Overlooked stories from around the world with you. This will include the good, the bad, the weird, and sometimes the absolutely hilarious. Come back often, share with your friends, and feel free to add the podcast to your regular podcast rotation, wherever you get your podcasts. If you come across stories or articles that you think should be featured here, please don't hesitate to share them. Now, it's time for this week's episode. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode. It is starting to get cold over here in Edmonton. Trees are already turning a beautiful shade of orange, but that comes as the harbinger of winter. What is the weather like where you're listening from? Drop me a comment on social media and let me know. Alright then, let's not dilly-dally further and let's just jump straight into this week's episode. Three scientists, Harvey J. Alter, Michael Houghton, and Charles M. Rice have received the Nobel Prize in Medicine for the discovery of the hepatitis C virus. At the time of the award, the three scientists worked at the National Institute of Health, Maryland, in the U.S., the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada, and the Rockefeller University located in New York, USA, respectively. According to the Nobel Assembly at Karolinska Institute, this year's Nobel Prize is awarded to three scientists who have made a decisive contribution to the fight against the blood-borne hepatitis. Hepatitis is a major health problem that causes cirrhosis and liver cancer in people around the world. The discovery of the hepatitis C virus has been described as a Cinderella story in modern medicine, a relatively overlooked achievement. Prior to the work of these three scientists, the discovery of the hepatitis A and B viruses had been critical steps forward, but the majority of blood-borne hepatitis cases remained unexplained. The Nobel laureate's discovery of the hepatitis C virus is a landmark achievement, especially now, with the ongoing battle against the viral disease. Thanks to their discovery, highly sensitive blood tests for the virus are now available and this has essentially eliminated post-transfusion hepatitis in many parts of the world, greatly improving global health. Their discovery also allowed the rapid development of antiviral drugs that can target hepatitis C specifically. For the first time in history, the disease can now be cured. This raises hopes that the hepatitis C virus can be completely wiped out from the world's population. According to COSIT IT, at least five bar owners in Grenoble, France, have now been arrested for providing Wi-Fi at their businesses without keeping a log of the users. The bar owners were arrested under a French law passed in 2006 that technically classifies businesses, even internet cafes that provide Wi-Fi hotspots as internet service providers, or ISPs. As an ISP, they are required by law to store a year's worth of user logs and connection records for anti-terrorism purposes. This is required even if the Wi-Fi is password protected. It means that the owners of a small cafe that offers Wi-Fi to patrons could face up to a year in prison and up to a 75,000 euro fine. The fine is also equivalent to about 88,000 US dollars or 117,000 Canadian dollars. While larger businesses like hotels, conference centers, airports are able to pay for packages that include this login feature, it seems like small businesses like bars and cafes are not aware of this law or its requirements. 
One of the arrested bar owners said that the relevant organization, UME, did not inform him of the requirements when he went to renew his license. UME provides compulsory training that he said did not include any mention of the law as part of the license renewal process. When questioned by BFM Business, UMI admitted that the training doesn't mention Wi-Fi login but noted that UMI members should have known about this important requirement because it was mentioned in a newsletter. Unfortunately, as they say, ignorance of the law is not an excuse. Or put another way, it is presumed that the public knows the laws and a defense of ignorance or I didn't know is typically not allowed. An American has been sued by an island resort in Thailand over a negative TripAdvisor review, and this American could face up to two years in prison if they are eventually found guilty. Domestic tourism is still happening in Thailand, with locals and expatriates heading to resorts that are now almost nearly empty given the ongoing crisis. But a recent visit to the Sea View Resort on the island of Koh Chang landed Wesley Barnes in trouble after he wrote an unflattering online review about his holiday. The resort owner filed a complaint that the defendant had posted unfair reviews on his hotel at the TripAdvisor website. The owner accused Barnes of damage to the reputation of the hotel and of quarreling with staff over not paying for alcohol brought into the hotel. Barnes currently works in Thailand and was arrested by immigration police and returned to Koh Chang, where he was briefly detained and then freed on bail. According to the TripAdvisor review that Barnes posted in July, he encountered unfriendly staff who acted like they don't want anyone there. And that's a quote. The Seaview Resort said legal action was only taken because Barnes had penned multiple reviews on different sites over the past few weeks. At least one posted in June on TripAdvisor accused the hotel of modern-day slavery. TripAdvisor subsequently removed the comment after a week for violating its guidelines. Thailand's defamation laws are very severe. Under Thailand's tough defamation laws, the maximum sentence is two years in prison along with a 200,000 baht or 6,300 US or 8,300 Canadian dollar fine. A cult leader who claimed to be the reincarnation of Jesus has now been arrested in Russia. Russian authorities mounted a special operation to arrest a former traffic police officer who claims to be the reincarnation of Jesus and has run a cult based in the depths of Siberia for the past 30 years. Helicopters and armed officers stormed communities run by Sergei Turov, known by his followers as Vizarion, and arrested him and two of his close aides. He was formally accused by the Russian Investigative Committee of causing grievous bodily harm to two or more persons and using psychological violence to inflict serious harm. Now 59, Turapu lost his job as a traffic officer in 1989, claimed that he experienced an awakening. He believed that he had been reborn as Bizarion, the returned Jesus Christ, and in 1991, he founded a religious movement, the Church of the Last Testament. According to the New Yorker, the Church of the Last Testament combines elements from the Russian Orthodox Church with Buddhist themes on reincarnation, as well as preparations for an impending apocalypse. Members are vegan and are restricted from drinking alcohol, smoking, and even using money. According to the Moscow Times, Vizarion and approximately 4,000 of his followers, called Vizarionites, 
live in 20 rural settlements in southern Siberia, with the most devoted group of around 300 living at the top of a remote hill they call the Abode of Dawn. Alright, here's your fun fact. Um, did you know that there is an opposite to déjà vu called jamais vu? Jamais vu comes from the French language and means never seen. It refers to any situation that should be familiar, but feels unfamiliar and feels like it's the first time. For example, when you look at your face in the mirror and it begins to look strange, like you're just noticing something and it looks weird to you. Or if, for example, you temporarily forget what a pedal does when you should be driving. So yeah, have you heard of Jamais Vu before? Let me know. This was the first time I came across it this week as I was researching um, the stories for this episode. Our next story, which is our feature story, highlights the ongoing Nagorno-Karabakh conflict where Azerbaijani and Armenian forces have exchanged heavy rocket and artillery fire. While the conflict has been simmering for over two decades, it escalated in late September 2020. Each side has accused the other one of targeting civilian areas as they fight over the disputed region of Nagorno-Karabakh. Azerbaijan's foreign ministry said on Sunday that one civilian was killed and four wounded in an Armenian rocket attack on the city of Ganja. Armenia has denied this. The leader of Nagorno-Karabakh said that his forces had targeted military airbases in Ganja only, but later stopped firing in order to avoid civilian casualties. Casualties from the past week's fighting have run into the hundreds, although precise figures are almost impossible to obtain right now. In a televised address, Azerbaijan's president, Ilham Aliyev, demanded Armenia set a timetable for withdrawing from Nagorno-Karabakh and said Azerbaijan would not cease military action until that had happened. At the heart of the decades-old conflict is the Nagorno-Karabakh region. It is recognized as part of Azerbaijan and remains within the country's borders, but it is controlled by ethnic Armenians. The countries fought in a bloody war over the region in the late 1980s and early 1990s, and although they had declared a ceasefire at that time, negotiations over the decades mediated by international powers have never resulted in a peace treaty. Nagorno-Karabakh is part of Azerbaijan, but its population is majority Armenian. As the Soviet Union saw an increase in tensions in its constituent republics in the 1980s, Nagorno-Karabakh voted to become part of Armenia, sparking a war that stopped with a ceasefire in 1994. Tens of thousands died and up to a million were displaced amid reports of ethnic cleansing and massacres committed by both sides. One of the tragedies from the fighting in the 90s is what is now known as the Koje Massacre. Turkey openly supports Azerbaijan and Russia has a military base in Armenia. UN Security Council has since called on both Armenia and Azerbaijan to immediately stop fighting over Nagorno-Karabakh and urgently resume talks without any preconditions. In our final story this week, France has now doubled its paid paternity leave to 28 days from 14 days. It is now one of Europe's most generous plans. Quoting President Emmanuel Macron, when a baby arrives in the world, there is no reason that it should be just the mother who takes care of it. He further added that there should be more equality in sharing the responsibility from the first day. 
The change will come into effect starting the summer of 2021, and fathers will also be required to take at least one week off after the babies are born. This extension would also apply to same-sex couples. Researchers in Europe have for a long time documented the benefits of paternity leaves on fathers, their partners, and their children. According to the studies, fathers who take paternity leave remain more engaged in parenting and are more likely to divide household chores long after paternity leave is over. Researchers also found that female partners of men who take paternity leave are less inclined to need anti-anxiety prescriptions. So, that is where we end this episode. You guys know I like to end it on a relatively good note. So, have yourselves a great week. Thanks for listening, friends. As a reminder, the podcast is released weekly. Subscribe or follow across social media to be notified when a new episode is released. Overlooked is a Tunuka Media production, which also includes shows like Africa in My Kitchen, with more on the way. Follow Tunuka Media on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter to connect to say hi, or to be on the forefront of upcoming shows and program schedules. Until next time, I'm your host, Yemi.